0: Father, we just praise your name for your majesty and glory. Father, we just rest in the peace and hope that is Jesus Christ. And Lord, we come to you as a body of believers now just offering our worship to you. Lord, we just praise your name as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the the author of our salvation, Father, the giver of all good gifts. Lord I pray that this time um, over the next little while Lord as we open the truth of your word and and study it intentionally together as a body of Christ would be beneficial to us Lord that it would just be our lifeblood for the week that we would just rely more and more on your word more and more on your strength in our lives and we would live our lives in such a way that honors you brings glory to your name Father be with us right now open the eyes of our hearts help us to comprehend and hear from you and through the power of the spirit may we be transformed more and more into the image of your son Jesus Christ it's in his wonderful name that we pray amen take your bibles and open to second corinthians chapter 8 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Such an exciting time for us at Rosemont. Obviously we just celebrated 50 years of faithfulness and have built this legacy of God's work and his power in our church. We celebrated 50 years and are looking ahead to the next 50 years with great excitement because God's doing great things in our church. We're growing, we're reaching new people, young families are coming all the time, lives are being changed, and because God has blessed us, because God has provided in such a powerful way, because more and more people are coming, we're out of space. We're out of space in our children's department, we're out of space in our worship service, and so we've been praying for a long time about what to do. About how to move forward, about how to be faithful with what God has entrusted with us. And so we've introduced to you, or I introduced to you last week, the idea of the Legacy Project. Rosemont Legacy Project. This is our plan to move forward, to expand our facilities, to grow and continue to reach the world for Christ. And you should have received this morning, every family, a little brochure. I'm going to ask you to take that out just for a second. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. You obviously can read it, and I want you to do that. Take it home and understand it. It just kind of outlines the next uh, kind of phase for us, our plan during the Legacy Project take it, read it, understand it, but there's a couple things I do want you to notice I want to point out to you. The first one is the middle section. If you just want to open up to kind of that two-page spread very quickly with a picture of our building, the proposed building in there, kind of what we're going to do. Off to the left, there's just kind of a list. I just want to remind you of that we're going to do a new children's building which is on the kind of the far right of the picture we're going to remodel some of our current uh, facilities and turn those into new children's classrooms we're going to knock out the walls in this building and increase the seating by about 65 percent knock out a portion of that wall build a big lobby out into the parking lot a new drive under which will give us three drive unders by the way on, on campus new larger restrooms unified flow design throughout the buildings improved security in the children's department so there's just kind of a list of those Uh, Again, I'm happy to meet with you and go into detail. I just wanted you to notice that. And then on the back page, kind of the blue section flip there, I want to point some out to you there as well. This is kind of the process right, kind of the next steps for you, prayerfully seek the Lord's guidance about your contribution, right, we're going to ask you to contribute to this project, complete a commitment card, we'll be handing those out over the next few weeks, and then join us, this is important, I mentioned this date last Sunday, join us on Sunday, February the 11th, as we make make our commitments together during our worship services, come prepared to give your first offering toward the Rosemont Legacy Project on February the 11th, so that day, February the 11th, we're going to ask you to have a commitment card completed, you'll bring it with, you that Sunday. We'll come at the end of the service and lay them at the altar. We're also going to ask you to give kind of your first fruit offering on that Sunday morning towards the project. So after that Sunday, we'll have a really good idea of kind of where we stand, what the pledges look like, how the next year and a half is going to look. It's going to be a year and a half. commitments. what we're going to ask you to do. We're not going to do three years. We talked a lot about this. We, we felt like an 18-month commitment was realistic for most people and was very doable. And then on the very back page, if you want to notice at the very bottom, rosemontlegacy.org. We've created uh, a way Web page for you to go to that contains a lot of the same information. It's got a lot more detailed drawings. It's got some videos that answer some of the questions we've received. And this will be our opportunity, rosemontlegacy.org. It's live right now. You can go to it right now if you want to. Uh, it's our opportunity to update the project, to give more and more information as we go. This is obviously very static. We can't change it. Uh, it's just an opportunity for you to learn as much as you can now. But the website will be changing constantly. We'll be adding things to it, updating our progress and our giving. So you can go there. There and learn more and more about that and kind of where we're headed and what the Lord's doing. And we've kind of set a goal uh, that I want you to hear me say. There's a financial goal, but I'm not really interested in that right now. I'm more interested in something else. Uh, there's money we have to raise. We're going to ask you to give money. Obviously, that's clear. We know that. We've got to build the building. It's got to uh, happen with money. We, we kind of understand that process. But here's what I want to see above and beyond that. Our goal is that every family at this church would be involved on some level. Now, how much you give is between you and the Lord. I'm not going to know. I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to try to guilt you into anything. The Holy Spirit is way better at leading you than I am. We'll trust the Lord there. But here's what I'd like you to do as a family. I'd like you to commit to praying about this, discussing this, seeking the Lord. And here's where I want you to end up on February the 11th. This is my hope for you. That you'll say on that day, listen Adam, my family's been talking about this now for several weeks. We've been earnestly praying about it as a family. We've been praying about it individually. We feel the Lord has led us to give this amount, to commit this amount over 18 months. And so we are going to give it. Praise the Lord. Some families can give a little, some can give a lot, but the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and direct you on what you ought to be doing, how much you ought to be giving. So to kind of prepare for that, right, we're looking ahead to that February 11th, that's a big Sunday for our church. As we look ahead to that February 11th date and what that means, I'm going to be preaching through a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that talk about giving, that talk about generosity, that talk about how we as believers ought to live a generous life. And so if you have your Bibles and you've already turned to chapter 8 of Second Corinthians, we're going to begin this morning in verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Let me give you just a little bit of background. Uh, by the way, take the little brochures now, fold them up, put them away. Because I know if you leave them out, you'll be reading them the rest of the morning. I taught school long enough to know that if you have something in your hands, you're going to look at it. So put it away. Take it home with you. Learn all you want. Uh, go to the website. Learn more. But I'm going to ask you to put it away right now. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Just a little bit of background before we jump in. Anytime we just jump into a new passage of Scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background. Right, this is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. You probably know this, but most of the books of the New Testament were letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. So the book of Romans is a letter to the church in Rome. Uh, Philippians is a letter to the church at Philippi. Corinthians, first and second, is a letter to the church at Corinth. And in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, there were some divisions, there were some problems, there were some theological issues that Paul had noticed. And so he wrote these letters to help these people understand how they need to fix the problems. Like what they need to be doing differently. Now some scholars believe that chapters 8 and 9 are kind of crucial to his argument. They're very important because what Paul's going to do in chapters 8 and 9 is take the Corinthians kind of to this place of generosity and help them understand, listen, this is how you ought to be living, this is how you ought to be giving, this is what your life ought to look like. So let's jump right in now. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now I want to make a distinction here in the first verse to make sure we're clear. Let's read it and then I'll explain it. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. We want you, that's the church at Corinth, brothers to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So understand Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, but he's pointing out the churches of Macedonia. And he's saying, listen, church at Corinth, you need to be aware of what's going on in Macedonia, in the churches of Macedonia. Incredible things are taking place. Verse 2. Now, he's speaking of the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. We'll come back to verse 2 in a second. It's very important. Now, verse 3. For they, again speaking of the church of Macedonia, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the, of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he, as he had started, he should, complete you, uh, he should complete among you this act of grace. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And we're going to stop there. That's all we're going to look at this morning. We're going to work back through this. And the first point I want you to see is very different than the way we view generosity. The first thing I want you to notice is very different than kind of our mindset and the way we view it. Here's the first truth. We'll have it on the screen. As we think about giving and being generous, your circumstances should not dictate whether or not you are generous. Your circumstances should not dictate whether or not You're generous. Now, let me just make a side note here. I think this is important to make this distinction and understand. Paul here is talking about financially giving. We're talking about financially giving to a capital campaign. But I wouldn't be honest with you if I didn't say generosity in the Christian life is so much more than just money. It's easy for us to kind of pigeonhole that and just talk about money because we're trying to raise money for a capital campaign. But it wouldn't be honest for me to say to you, it's just about money because it's not. There are all sorts of other scriptures that speak about generosity on so many different levels. In fact, if you were to think about your walk with Christ, it ought to be understood as a generous life in all areas. So there's the idea of financial generosity, certainly, but, but some questions you ought to ask yourself are things like this. Listen, am I generous in my love to others? Am I generous in my time? Am I generous in my kindness, right? How am I showing generosity in my life? Now, here's what I want you to notice about the people of Macedonia. This is very important. Let's pull up verse 2, and we're going to stay there just for a second because I want you to notice what's going on, right? Paul makes some distinctions about the people of Macedonia. They're going to really fly in the face of the way we view generosity in our current setting. The first thing we notice about the church in Macedonia is that they were poor, Right, so Paul makes this statement, right, not only are they poor, but he uses the word extreme poverty to describe them, right? We would say something like maybe they they were dirt poor, uh, they they barely had enough to survive, they just didn't have any money, uh, they lived in abject poverty. Now most of us in our society living where we live don't really understand that, do we? I mean, maybe when you, when you were younger, maybe there's a time in your life, but I, but, but I got a feeling the vast majority of us uh, have enough to at least make ends meet. Maybe there have been times that we struggled, but we don't really understand extreme poverty. Maybe if you've gone somewhere else in the world, maybe some of the places we go to, Guatemala and other places you've seen it. But to live in it is hard for us to understand. Paul wants us to understand, listen, these people lived in abject, extreme poverty. They didn't have anything. And on top of that, at the beginning of the verse, they were going through some sort of severe test of affliction. Right, So there's kind of two whammies, right? There's some sort of severe test of affliction, which is the, the world, I guess, just kind of crowding them out. They're also living in great poverty. This is a very difficult time for them, a major difficulty they're going through. One writer called it grinding poverty and crushing tribulation. But here's the fascinating thing to me. It's so different than the way we view things today. Out of their test of affliction... And out of their extreme poverty have overflowed into a what? Wealth of generosity. That's a very challenging verse for me because these people had nothing and yet they gave generously. You understand that? <clears throat> Here's what we do. Here's what I do. I shouldn't talk about it. Here's what most people do. I do it. When we think about giving, we want to give out of our abundance, don't we? I've got this amount and things are going well and there's a little bit extra, so I'll give out of that abundance, right? The idea of giving out of poverty is not something we typically consider, is it? If you've ever had the moment where you're struggling maybe to pay a bill uh, or there's not enough food, maybe to make it at the end of the week. We've probably all been there. You're standing there and the pantry's empty and you're looking at the bank account and there's not a lot in there. The first thing that comes to your mind is not, I wonder how I can give a lot of this away. We don't think that, do we? We think, how am I going to make ends meet, man? How am I going to find enough money to buy some food for the rest of the week? Or, or maybe I can, I can do some overtime at work. We're trying to figure out how to get more. We don't think about giving away in the middle of poverty. Yet these people, during affliction and extreme poverty, the Bible says they gave generously. That's compelling to me. Very challenging to me. All right, that, that ought to resonate a little bit in our minds because we read about generosity all through Scripture. All right, that there are all sorts of portions of scripture that talk about being generous and giving and and helping people. And we we see this kind of as a a lifestyle of believers, but sometimes it's hard for us to come to this place of wanting to be generous because we want to give out of our wealth. And sometimes when the wealth isn't there, it's hard for us to give out of poverty. Here's what we do. Here's what so many people do. You say something like this, you know, if I had a little bit more money, I sure would be generous with it. You ever said that? You ever played this game? This is a fun game for me. What would I do with the money if I won the lottery? You ever played that game? You ever had that discussion? Now, I don't want you to kind of gasp. I don't play the lottery, right? You're not going to find me buying a scratch off at the 7-Eleven. I don't play that. I never really had a desire to play it. But a couple years ago, when it went to like 1.5 billion, the Powerball, or whatever they call it, did you all see that? Several years ago, I sat down, I thought, that intrigued me. I didn't go buy a Powerball ticket, but that intrigued me. I was like, how much money would you actually win with a 1.6 billion dollar payout, and you start doing the math, and you can take like one lump sum or like uh, smaller amounts over 30 years. Of course, taxes are going to eat about half of it. But I think one of the winning tickets was, I don't know, four or five hundred million dollars, right? And I'll never forget Amy and I got in this funny discussion, almost like a little argument about it. What would you do with? That? I don't know. Well, I said if I got five hundred million, I'd buy a nice car, a Lamborghini or Ferrari or something like that. That'd be one of the things I'd buy. She was like, "What?" Why would you buy? And we got an argument about what car I would buy with money I didn't actually have. It was kind of hysterical. <laughs> but if you're like me, when I play that game, man, when I win the lottery, I'm the most generous man in the world. I'm just so kind. I'm just, I'm just stroking checks to people, man. I'm giving a check to the church, millions of dollars, tens of million dollars. to That's what I'd do. I'd give it to the church. I'm thinking about my family. like my, I'm thinking my great, great, great grandkids would never want for anything because I'd be so generous with this money I don't actually have but if I actually had it I'd be very generous Right, my friends I'd take people out to nice dinners we'd go on trips together just just this great time we're so generous with money that we don't really have right but check this out when we finally get a raise or a bonus man we hide that away in a hurry don't we 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 don't take that bonus and think I wonder I could give half this away I wonder how I could be generous with this extra amount of money I'm going to be given this year. right? We don't, we don't think like that, do we? I'm, I'm reminded of Luke chapter 16. It says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. But I, I, I'm convinced, I think I can make the case scripturally, that a lot of times the Lord doesn't give us more because we're not faithful to what we have. And we wouldn't really be generous with 500 million because we're not generous with 500. We're not generous with 50. We're not generous with five. And yet we see this group of people in Macedonia. It's just fascinating to me that in poverty... In bad situations, in difficulties, in affliction, it, I love the, the, the phrase there. It overflowed, right? Like it's so much. There's there's poverty, and there's there's bad stuff, and there's affliction. Yet it overflows with joy, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, and with a wealth of generosity. And so here's the question, right? This is the kind of the burning question in my mind when I read this passage of scripture. How does somebody in extreme poverty, going through a severe test of affliction, find it within their heart to overflow in a wealth of generosity. So what leads a person in those circumstances to want to give of themselves like that? Well, Paul answers the question in verse 1. Pull verse 1 back up of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers... About the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. See, here's the second truth that we need to understand. Our generosity must be based on God's grace in our lives. That's different than what the world says. The world says your generosity is based on how much you have. It's based on your circumstances. And the more you're given, you should give away. and, And always based on your abundance. Christ says, you know what? Your generosity should instead be based on God's grace in your lives. And how can the people of Macedonia overflow with wealth and giving in the midst of abject poverty because the Lord did a great work in their hearts and they understand the grace of God that's been given to them. We see this idea of grace all through Scripture. Right? And grace is kind of like a free gift. Something we don't deserve and we don't deserve any of this stuff, and yet the Lord, for whatever reason, pours out His grace upon us. But we ask the question, you know, where, where does this grace come from? The Lord, I get that, but how is, it, how is it manifested in our lives? And Paul explains that to us just a couple chapters before. If you have your Bibles, flip back to chapter 5 of Second Corinthians. If you don't, just listen. I'm going to read it to you. But Paul gives us this real clear statement, this real clear understanding about the grace of the Lord, kind of where it comes from, how it's manifested in our lives. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. All this is from God, right? What a great kind of opening statement. What a great place to kind of build and think about it. And we could preach sermons on that, that whole idea. Just to be clear so you know, everything you have is from the Lord. All your possessions, all the things you've been given, your your family, all all that stuff comes from the Lord. Who, through Christ, Paul says, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, right, he's going to explain it. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself Paul wants these people to understand, listen, the the grace of God is is, is evident in your life. We see it in all areas. We see it in our walk. We see it in the world. But it's manifested oftentimes best through Christ in our life, right? God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Scripture says. So so we understand when when we see the grace of God in our lives and all he does for us, it should lead us to a place of generosity because we realize all we've received. We see all that God has given us and all that Christ sacrificed for us and all that he offered for us, it should lead us to a place of wanting to give back. So the life that you have, your breath, your family, your health, your your ability to to have a meal when you're hungry, your ability to go to the faucet and turn it on in your house and drink clean water, which is unlike most of the world, all the things that you have have been given to us because of the grace of God. All the hope you have, the joy, the, the peace that you found, salvation, all through Christ. And Paul says, listen, when you begin to understand that grace, and I think most people don't understand it, by the way, but when we begin to understand that grace and all Christ is given for us and done for us and sacrificed to us, it leads us to this place of wanting to give back. I'll, I'll never forget several years ago I went to the, the Catalyst Conference. It's kind of a church leadership conference uh, in, in Atlanta, and this was, I mean, seven or eight years ago, I think. And a- Andy Stanley kind of puts it on, but he brings in a lot of leaders, and they just talk about church stuff. It's a very interesting conference. And during one of the main sessions, they brought in Compassion International. Now, if you know anything about Compassion International, uh, they sponsor kids, right? So you pay $30 or $40 a month. Uh, the money goes to some child somewhere in the world and usually buys them food, some clothing, helps them go to school. And you sponsor this child once a month. And there are people that have been sponsoring children for, for many, many years. And they bring out on stage at this conference this guy named Jimmy. Now Jimmy's from Africa, he's from Kenya, and he starts telling his story. He grew up in the slums, never had a daddy, Uh, his mama was always pretty sick. So at a really young age, I think like six or seven, he's already on the streets. He's a scavenger, he's looking for food, anything his family could use. He watched his 10-month-old baby sister die in his mother's arms because of starvation. Just a, a rough life, a very difficult life for Jimmy. And along about the age of eight, some way or another, he gets involved. His his mother, who's sick, gets him involved with Compassion International. And a young man by the name of Mark, here in America, begins to sponsor Jimmy. So Mark, I think he's 18 or 19. And by the way, the video's online. You can go watch it. It's longer, and I didn't want to show it in the service, but you ought to go Google it. I'll give you the link if you want to go see it. Mark, who's 19 or 20, starts giving $30 a month for Jimmy. So Jimmy kind of rocks on along through middle school, through high school. Mark is still giving him money. Jimmy eventually does really well in school, moves to the States, starts college here. All the while, Mark is still sending that money every month to help him. And they're interviewing Jimmy on stage, and they say, Listen, Jimmy, have you ever, ever had the chance to talk to Mark, the guy that sponsors you? And Jimmy says, No, we've never actually had a chance to talk and the guy says, would you like to meet him? He's walking right up behind you right now. And we're watching this live on stage. And so this guy now that's been sponsoring this kid in Africa for 15 years is face-to-face with him. And the response of this guy, Jimmy, from Africa was unbelievable. For, for, for probably five minutes, he couldn't speak. He was just overwhelmed by emotions. You can audibly hear him crying on the and He's just got his arms around Mark and they're crying together. At one point they just have to get down on the ground and they're just they're just hugging one another and they're just crying and just kind of weeping together. It's because this man, Jimmy, understood that because of Mark's sacrifice, Jimmy's life was changed, wasn't it? Radically changed. Because of what Mark did for him, his life was different than it would have been. He wouldn't have had the chances he had. He probably wouldn't have survived. But because this man chose to give for him, he was put in a position and a place now to be successful and to do great things. And when he came face to face with him, his emotions just overflowed and poured out. I see that video and I think about that story and I think about what it must be like when we one day get to heaven. And we see Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that we look through a, a dark window, you understand, like a dirty old window at God. We just don't fully get it. I mean, we just, there's just things we can't understand because it's dark and sin keeps us in We don't fully get the glory of the Lord. But we step into heaven one day and and see the glory of the Lord and come face to face with Christ. I can't imagine how we're going to respond. Understanding finally, once and for all, the sacrifice that he made for us and what he gave for us. As we think about that and all he did, it ought to lead us to this place of worship. It ought to lead us to this place of giving and sacrifice and serving the Lord regardless of the cost. He paid a great price for us. He paid a great price for our salvation. And Paul says, listen, we we need to understand that our generosity is not based on our place that we're living. It's not based on our affluence. It's not based on our abundance and what we're making. Not based on any of those circumstances of life. It ought to be based on the grace of God in our lives. You ought to look at God's grace and be willing to do anything to serve him and to give back because of what he gave for you. So we understand, we begin to understand generosity, not, not as a, a, a place we are in life, but instead based on God's grace. And here's the third thing as we kind of finish this up this morning. The third thing I want you to notice is that it's very important. When we're generous to other people, when we're generous in life, number three, our generosity affects others. When, when you're generous, it affects other people. Like the very first verse, pull verse 1 back up for me if you would please. I want you to notice how Paul begins this. We want you to know, brothers. Like there's a story Paul says, I want, I want to tell. Like the generosity of the Macedonians got Paul's attention in such a way that he wrote two chapters about it. It got the attention of the people in Corinth. It got the attention of the people in the surrounding areas. Right? When people are generous, when we choose to give whatever way God leads us, it affects other people. So I just started thinking about all the ways this church has been generous. I, I love this church and the heart of this church and how this church has always stepped up to the plate to continue to move forward and to continue to grow that legacy. But I wrote down uh, four or five things here that are actually happening. Now, we're not making these up. These aren't some brochure. This is what's really happening because of this church. This is just a handful of the dozens and dozens that are happening. But I started kind of overseas. I'm going to work back home in just a few bullet points. Here Here's some things that are happening because of the generosity of this church believers in india are currently being trained through our church because you've given generously did you know that like we have a team in india right now when we go to india our church our church pays for the food pays for the transportation for these local believers to get here we feed them we put them up which basically means they all sleep in the same room for a night give them a little place to sleep provide the training materials. It's just a few hundred dollars. I mean, it's next to nothing. Our church provides that. These people are trained because of your generosity and your faithfulness. The gospel is going out in India and it's making a difference because of your generosity. That's what generosity does. There are families in in very remote parts of Guatemala that are sleeping in, this sounds like nothing, does concrete houses and have heard the gospel because you've given Generously. We go to Guatemala and we build a house for a couple of reasons. One, it's desperately needed. It's desperately, they need houses, they need physical structures they can sleep in. But the real reason we do it, it gives us an opportunity now to interact with this family, to love on this family, to share the gospel with this family, to present them with the Bible when we commission their house. That's why we do it. And because you've given generously, a lot of that money has gone to build houses for these people. Orphans in Zambia have received care and teaching because you have given generously. Kids right here in LaGrange have been taught the truth of Christ because you've given generously. All of our backyard Bible clubs, all of the the things that we do in different parks, Mission LaGrange, all of the local ministries that so many of you have been involved in are possible because you give generously. We're able to do these things because of the generosity of this church. The gospel is proclaimed regularly in this area because you have given generously. See, people are affected when the people of Christ are generous in their giving. Now, I want to say to you, I want you to understand as we move forward now with this capital campaign. We have this opportunity now to give to this project, to set our church up for growth for many years in the future. And I want you to pray about being generous. Now I want you to know something. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on in my life and my heart. I'm doing the same thing with my family right now. We're praying about how much we can give, how we can sacrifice, how we can be generous regardless of circumstances. Right? It's a process we're going through and I want to encourage you just over the, over the next few weeks, I want you to prepare your hearts. I don't want you to just kind of willy-nilly, just kind of put down something and think about it and be done with it and put it in the envelope. I want you to think about it, pray about it, speak with your family about it, allow the Lord to speak to you about it. What does it mean to be generous? Kids, you ought to ask your kids. How can we be more generous? Is there anything in our life that hinders us from being a generous giver? (laughs) Because when we give generously, when we trust the Lord, other people are blessed. So spend time praying, seeking Christ, preparing your hearts, understanding how to be generous in your giving. And we're going to allow the Lord to speak to us We're going to faithfully follow Him. And when we do that, He's going to receive honor and glory for the sake of His kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the passage of Scripture You've given us in chapter 8 and chapter 9, Lord. It's compelling and challenging. Lord, I pray we just understand generosity. I pray, first of all, we'd understand, Father, it has nothing to do with our circumstances has nothing to do with with how much money we make or how much money we don't make. Instead, it has everything to do with the grace of the Lord working in our lives. So just make that grace evident to us. Help us to see it in our lives and, and, and work through it, Father. Help it to grow our faith. And then help us, Father, to be encouraged that as we're generous, other people are affected. This community will be affected. This world will be affected, Father. As we give, as we trust you, use us for the sake of your kingdom to do great things And we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. An opportunity for you to pray or speak to me. Your chance to respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.